Greetings, this is Larry D. Giles. It's Saturday night around 7 p.m. on a rather, well, in uh, connection with the past. It's a mild Saturday afternoon. Uh, We've had a very cold winter. I'm going to read a piece called The Passage of Fools from the book I'm currently working on. I generally like to say a lot about the piece before I start, but since this piece is a longer work, I'll just um, just read it. It's basically about a boy seeing his um, grandfather as a man who can keep his cool while also being someone who's complicated. And this becomes a metaphor for the African-American race in general, I hope. Um... Bear with me, I have to go to another screen. A Passage of Fools Unlike my father and at least one of the uncles, my grandfather was not a man who got angry. The Bible kept him calm, I think, that and the things that grew around him. The land he had befriended also kept him spry and hopeful that he could knead and shape it and it would be pleased he cared and give back. There were, however, a couple of times he went around the house as if running from something, as though brushing something off with a large finger or thumb. He may have well been chasing it In either case, if the harness dropped, the hammer went down with a thunk in the box, he would have a few words for it. Dag nabbit, stupid rock. They were, I suppose, good righteous words. Expressions that had maybe lost their way and needed a word of prayer. Except this time he didn't pray. He asked for the Lord, but he didn't wait for the Lord to answer. Across the field, curled up in the bushes, or building a nest, my thoughts were often silent, but his were not. Ain't you fool with this thing? Done got right smart devil in her this morning. Fall down then, black monkey, I heard him say as I strained to look from some corner where my father had stashed me because he was courting around the woods something real bad. Though he was used to a little of this and a whole lot of that, words were my grandfather's friends as much as a mason jar of water or fresh full bucket at the well. If they got devilish and wouldn't quince, or my father went to the wrong house, he kept them inside, or a time or two poured them out upon the ground, stepping over them with a work shoe. Doggone it. That was a pretty good day. He had, however, no reason to explain I read his feelings in the box and along the woods, in the shady places that came and went as they pleased in the field, 
And what I didn't know, in a way I didn't give a hoot about, I was usually calm and demure and definitely wasn't about to tell him how to feel. Besides, I didn't usually know how I felt. I felt, I guess, what he felt. The rest was like a piggy bank I was saving maybe for one big break, <laughs> which would be never. Words nearly always comforted him, and they made him strong, and he was proud of the ones he knew. Well, I guess a little proud. I didn't know a lot of them, but I was glad he knew and also surprised. Ring, you ought to be yanking the dog's ear, I heard him say to my grandmother in the bedroom beside the stars. I doubt she was yanking the dog's ear, as she was often as unopinionated as a mouse, her foot constantly nodding off to sleep during the sewing. The socks had to be mended, the oil checked in the lamp, at night, in the armchair, where she may have nodded, my grandfather seemed to wrap words in his arms where the glasses could look into their souls. Sometimes he kept them as secrets where nothing could enter them. A passage or script of many centuries before had become his nightshirt, a beautiful metaphor his tattered slippers nudged to bed. Beside the woman who was like a running stream, he slept like this. My grandfather, the deacon, who could also be as silent as the face of Jesus in the frame above the bed. I don't think he had always been silent, and certainly the picture had not, though I wasn't sure of all of it. But over the years, my grandfather may have learned the value of not saying. Sometimes I knew this, and sometimes it knew me. Both it knew and didn't know, a boy beside the woods. The man beside the woods may have inferred its importance from a world that also many times did not wish to participate of course he had opinions and guidance for his many children, but he also trusted his wife, and despite its ins and outs, he also trusted life. Power and authority were things to be given, but also withheld, like Bra Rabbit and Mr. Fox. There are two crows, he said in the struggling row, where Charlie was dipping his nose and biting at the bit. The plow nor Charlie was taking to the earth. The two crows, I tell you, were thirsty. They're facing a drought. Talk like they, they searched high and low, they did, but there was no water to be found. Charlie calmed. Finally, my grandfather added, Finally, when they had all but given up, one day, high and low, they found a pitcher of water on a garden wall. I listened intently. 
But I tell you, the water in the picture was all the way down at the bottom. Poor thing's beaks weren't long enough to drink anything. He doubled back to start a new row. The first crow, the blackest, my grandfather's face lightened. The first crow, he was glad, and he said, There must be some way for us to get a drink from this pitcher. The second crow, our lord, he was a rough cookie. <laughs> he scoffed and ruffled up his tail. There's no way, you fool bird, we can get that water out of that pitcher. And off he flew down through the woods. Despite the inexactness of the rose in the field, my grandfather's somewhat random, usually jolly stories in the cool morning sun. A few words he used, and I knew he wasn't fooling. <laughs> in the kitchen, when my grandmother wasn't well and he had to make his own breakfast, they slipped out like dashes of pepper. I wouldn't say he was angry, though just wrestling with the pans, <laughs> the water that wouldn't heat, the windows biting at the cold, the seething white gravy, though, won most of the bouts. Before me in my sugarless face, he smothered those potatoes, Moses touching water. Likewise, once or twice, people in their jackleg ways got to him. <laughs> jackleg was a word for my own thoughts when I had any. <laughs> Many stayed on the dirt road with my parents who couldn't find them either. <laughs> Some entered the white boss man's house next door. They slept in the backyard, in the graves. They filled their baskets in the field. Lord, God bless them, he would say. And if the blessing didn't come quite quick enough, the row and mule wouldn't go straight enough. He might let everything rip. But, mind you, just that once. Only once. Hold on here, mule! His face a nest of wasp. And not studying us crazy folk, the mule. I could clearly see the mule was probably cussing too. And spitting and snorting. Them pass the fools, I heard him say once or twice in the shade. <laughs> he wasn't working then. I guess it was a place of respite, straight rows, golden hay. A time or two he was not speaking of the loud ones up the road or at the store, but maybe more than one of his own sons. <laughs> they had grown too uppity and modern to help him and their words were far from quincing. Two of them were often looking for work and not looking for work and having too many beers while not looking for work, and sometimes there was no work. My father was driving a truck and I think doing what he wanted, which may have been meeting the wrong women and showing the truck off if the white man let him. The eldest was a military man in California. My grandfather rarely commented on either, and the brothers seemed to avoid commenting on him. In any respect, 
I kind of knew. Neither of the four sons was particularly fond of church, which my grandfather frequented it. Except for a word or two, mostly he didn't share his frustration about anything, even when he spoke or testified before the congregation. And sometimes that made me think the world was, I guess, all right, perfect, or something like that. But I also knew he was a man of principles that didn't necessarily align with the son's actions. It was the same, I suppose, with the community and church he was a part of and my father's ways. My grandfather let them be. And so, in some ways, he was a part, but also a part. Walking to one of the stores in the fields, we existed in a kind of free open space where things mostly didn't harm us. Things that watched from the edges of the bushes and woods but wouldn't speak. In each other's presence, we kind of put the world on hold for the simple pleasure of just maybe dropping a plant, a tiny slip of something wanting to live into a hole and patiently waiting watching, seeing it at last become a huge vine, a cluster cluster of shiny red fruit which produced white shirts and fried chicken, his daughter maybe in school. But she was not yet then in school, and the world was not exactly on hold. My perceptions were mixed. The world had happened and was happening, like my father's divorce, and that he was already courting another woman. In church, as I watched the deacon and Sunday school teacher pray, I did feel his joy, but I could also sometimes feel a gray space. And excuse me, I'm reading from my phone and everything just jumped from one screen and I have to go back. Please forgive me. This is uh, channel uh, WTVR. We're taking a little station break here. Station break, a Tide commercial. The world had happened and was happening like my father's divorce, and that he was already courting another woman. In church, I watched the deacon. I felt his joy, but I could also sometimes feel that a gray space within me, a space where maybe he nor God nor anyone went. I must have kept it from some previous time and folded it in some tissue where I could not see it maybe even in Matthew, and sometimes I did see it. I opened the tissue, and even I could not find anything there. I'm not supposing anyone know what happened, said my grandmother. She was slicing the new potatoes for my favorite dish.
and placing the pieces in water as though they were babies she was a little shy of. And already the fat back was beginning to sizzle. It had begun to shrink to half its size, and its face was squinched at my random questions about my aunt's death more than twenty years before. The rind lay flat and squished, and the water and grease let out a sad, almost terrible sound I think my grandmother had gotten used to hearing, and I thought a little curious. It all went round here so quick, and nobody was expecting that she was that sick after the child, and most of the time she was across the river. Nothing for a boy like you to study on, she added, our bodies side by side, touching like spoons. Then about 25 and living at home along with his slightly older brother and three sisters, the youngest uncle told me most of it when he wasn't chasing me around the house. <laughs> and maybe his reason for telling was as curious as my aunt's bad fortune, which most in the house wouldn't speak about. His mouth was frothy in the telling, as if I was the one my aunt had married. It could also have been his father. He said I couldn't listen no better than she, and I and my father would get what was coming t to us for hitting that man. Then, like he wanted to stick something something to stick it in, he teased the thin air with his fork. The store up the road was a place my uncle didn't go much, though I'm not sure why he didn't just to annoy his father. Not quite far enough from home, I imagine. A lot, a sort of doubting crow, he preferred the peckings of houses with dice and cards and women way back in the woods or my great-aunt's store further down the road. The killing or whatever was up the hill from the store, I think, made the hangout even more alluring. Didn't two of your own brothers get killed over yonder near the church, he told my grandfather, slamming the door. It wasn't a question, nor did my grandfather confirm it. The uncle was smart, but sometimes he used words and thoughts, thoughts and forks as he liked, and anyone in the family or otherwise would have to eat without ordering. Well, except a few. The bully's father, maybe. Snake's daddy, who they said killed a man with a butcher knife. The sore closer to my grandfather's farmhouse, in which the youngest uncle did not frequent, went by several names, and I suppose its caretakers had varied. Around the time of my birth, I think the house belonged to my mother's grandfather, who also owned a store just a little east. I'm not sure if he ever lived in either place, but my mother's mother and step-grandfather did. In fact, my mother's mother told me, my father's mother told me I had lived there briefly with my parents when they first got married. 
My mother's parents, I suppose, having had their fill of bad luck, and the gambling tree across the field moved to New Jersey, however, around that same time, and the house with its high, wide porch, a stone's throw from everything else one could dream up, became a store. The hop, one of its names, was mostly a country store for food staples, but the jukebox and converted wide wooden floor that stretched the length of two rooms attracted jitterbugs and dancers and a few, I guess, cutthroats. I suppose more than a few. My father may be included. In the yard with T-Bone Walker or somebody playing through the hash windows, my father had struck a man across the forehead with a jacklift because he thought my mother was stealing around with him. It wasn't like him in general, my father, but strange as he overall. Strange or otherwise, Snake's father was there as well as a truck bed of others. Sometimes his wife, if she didn't mind anyone seeing her do the Lindy hoop with bruises. Cards on the porch slightly up the hill and eyeshot of the store was a better bet. Even with those who couldn't accept when they got no juices. The storekeepers were regular angels. They sang beautifully in the church choir and for all I knew were everyone's favorites. And so it was no concern when they went to town to apply for their liquor license. I think my grandfather tried to stay out of it because he liked the proprietors and went to the store when he wasn't up to walking further west. But the townspeople or somebody insisted he speak along with others during the hearing. And while he had apparently not spoken on the unusual, even suspicious death of his first daughter, nor generally sided against his sons in any of their endeavors, this time he adamantly objected. I'm against this liquor license, he said, standing before the board of white men. You know why? Let me tell you why. It takes a dead fish to flow down the river but it takes a live one to flow upstream. This liquor is not a good thing for this community. I guess I'm that live fish. The family whispered, I guess laughed and puffed about what he had said for weeks, even the youngest in some sort of fashion. The seat on the bus where the air was dry, and I sat remembering what my grandfather had said, was neither comfortable nor uncomfortable, at least until Snake got on. No books, no lunch bag, no nothing. The one who had already once punched me in the mouth. That day he was blacker and meaner than ever, and he smelled like an old house with lots of fat back and lard. Not that he was blacker than my grandfather, but more he was full of something, something dark and edgy from the woods and bushes. A game he had played, but didn't win. Get your yalla ass over, gal, he said, 
I knew he was talking to me. I obeyed. I also felt small, also lost and small, even more than when my father was silent or even missing on a date. Then I was missing, scrambling quietly like a bird in the bushes, feeling in my notebook for anything, anything to make it look like I wasn't afraid, while also knowing Snake was going to do most likely anything he felt like. I felt it, though, my little testament, my tiny Bible I had forgotten and left in the pocket of the notebook. Grabbing it and fluttering through the tiny pages, I didn't think of my father with the jack lift, nor did I think of my mother on the dirt road with the new husband. I didn't even think of the words Snake said, but rather of my grandfather. I heard him, saw him, reading and full of words, and Charlie pulling hard with all his might. My heart pounding, I looked at the words, not that I could read them. The letters were too small, and I was too jittery. My heart was pounding, beating against my chest. I looked at the words because I was afraid to do anything else. Fear was not, however, to, slikes, to Snake's liking. He started reading the words as though he could see them, only slow like he was flicked or something. He was trying to say I was flicked. The Lord is... My shepherd, I, looking at me, shall not want. He maketh, he wasn't good at it, but I got the idea. He was making fun of me while moving over closer, spreading his legs and hips to take the whole seat. We rode like that all the way to school. 12 miles, I think it was, maybe 20. Me squished into the window, and he needing more and more space. Past the graveyard and store, past the dusty weeds, past the corner that wouldn't turn, I kept my eyes on the words. It suddenly occurred to me that the words scared me too and having opinions scared me. Both knowing and not knowing scared me. But still, later in the classroom, I stole in. I placed the tiny book on the front of my desk and I watched it, though I didn't look up. I thought also of my grandfather's story of the two crows how the first crow did not fly away. He suffered, he thought. He flew around and circled. And how he finally saw a rock, a stone, something his beak could grab hold of. This hard stone may give me a drink. He bristled up and dropped a pebble into the pitcher. One pebble, then two. 
Then three. He tried again and again with a stone, stone after stone. And when the crow was close to giving up, the pebbles had risen, the water all the way to the brim. The crow took a good long drink and flew about to tell the others of the water he had found and wanted to share. There had been many times I sat in church watching my grandfather teach and I was not quite sure what a passage meant. But then in that room, watching that small book on my desk and remembering the crow who stayed, I knew exactly what the words meant. And more than that, the words drifted down silently into some place that remembered itself long after I had forgot. And there where I kept them, wrapped and tissued and planted deep, sometimes again, like my grandfather, they fluttered away and wouldn't speak. Thank you. My apologies, I ran through that a little bit and didn't put all of the feeling in it. I wanted to, but um, my main goal was to get it recorded, so I accomplished that goal. And the second goal was to share it, so I did both of those things. Thank you, and God's love, love and blessing.